Before we start the show, I want to talk a little bit about what happened in Christchurch on Friday. To be honest, it's kind of taken the whole weekend for me to process it. In fact, I'm still processing it. Yet another act of mindless terrorism in the name of what can only be called white supremacy. I've been feeling angry, of course, devastated at the loss of 50 innocent people who should have been safe. On Friday night, my 19-year-old cousin, who is Muslim, shared screenshots of tweets and a press release from a certain blatantly racist neo-Nazi Australian federal senator. And it broke my heart. No person, let alone a young person, should have to read words like that about them and their family on a parliamentary letterhead. Yet this is the country we live in. We can't forget that this is also the country that bred this terrorist, and it's not difficult to see how. It's 2019, and we find it hard to focus. Our attention spans are almost non-existent. Just three days after this attack, we're laughing at memes and have already forgotten those who lost their lives. And I get it. I'm just as guilty as anyone of deflecting, of using ignorance as a coping mechanism. It's times like these, though, that we need to be reminded that this is a position of absolute privilege. We've got to remember their names. As difficult as it is, read about the victims. Reporting on mass murders like this often pushes the victims to the side. Make sure you're listening to their families if and when they choose to speak and that you're centering Muslim voices in these discussions. Keep informed so that you can speak out when you hear people you know spouting harmful rhetoric. It's easy to feel full of despair, hopeless. I I know that I felt that these past few days, but a couple of very positive things that you can do spring to mind. Uh, There are a few donation funds that you can donate to uh, the New Zealand Council of Victim Support Groups, uh, as well as the New Zealand Islamic Information Centre. Both have donations open. We will pop some links in the program page about how to donate. Just head to fbiradio.com forward slash programs and click through to Monday Arbos. Tragedies like this often serve to mobilise an ingrained xenophobia and racism that is constantly pulsing in this country, either under the surface or or on top. Everything about the majority of mainstream coverage around the attack and comments like Fraser Annings are slowly but surely normalising white supremacy and at the same time allow politicians whose expressions of white supremacy, racism and xenophobia that are more acceptable to appear benign in comparison. Your Fraser Annings and Pauline Hansen's may be more straight up with their racism, but the veiled racism of so many other politicians and powerful media representatives is just as poisonous, if not more so. There's an election coming up in less than a week's time this Saturday. Our brand of democracy has time and time again shown itself to be broken, but it is what we have to work with. So vote, vote with thought, do your research. A big issue this state election has been live music, which of course a lot of us feel strongly about, but I urge you to do your research beyond that one issue. A press release went out today that I read talking about ending, in inverted commas, the war on culture. Whose culture exactly are you fighting for? There's a lot of things to think about, but please don't underestimate the importance of your vote this weekend. Make sure these considerations stay with you for the federal election this May too. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, and to be honest, I'm not even sure. But there is more than live music on the agenda this election and every election. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters.
before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Redfern, the place that FBI Radio broadcasts from, as a place of strength, resistance and refuge for the First Nations community. Sovereignty was never ceded. This is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Tanya Ali, and you are tuned in to Race Matters. Today on the show, we are going to be joined by Emily Havea, who stars in Grounded, the by all accounts incredible one-woman play currently running at Parramatta's Riverside Theatre. Emily's also a musician, dancer, photographer, graphic designer, and was one of the ambassadors of the Sydney Fringe Festival last year. Plenty to chat about, and we are so excited, so do stick around for that. But right now, um, we're going to hear from the editor of an online and soon-to-be-print magazine that spotlights Asian-Australian creatives. They've just launched a fiction prize for Australian writers of colour. Here's Leah Jing McIntosh to tell you more. It was 2016 and it felt like something needed to be done, I think. There was a space which hadn't been filled and I really wanted to talk to other Asian-Australians kind of about how they were feeling in the current um, moment. I think it was just after Trump had been elected and Brexit had happened and everything felt like it was crumbling. (laughs) So I wanted to create something in response, something that was positive, something that um, kind of questioned and queried our experience in in this very strange moment. I'm Leah Jing McIntosh, the editor of Liminal Magazine, a space for the interrogation, exploration and celebration of the Asian-Australian experience. The Liminal Fiction Prize is a prize for people of colour. I am a literary studies major and in fact I'm just embarking upon my PhD. So literary prize is quite interesting to me and When I was researching Australian Literary Prizes, I came across these stats which kind of horrified me because a lot of the prizes were created uh, either during the White Australia policy or immediately after. You can see the disparity between essentially what is considered literature. So like the Miles Franklin, I think in the 63 years it's been running, only three people of colour have won. In the Patrick White, Uh, Over the 45 years it's been running, only three people of colour have won. And I think the Vogel, again, only three people. And then for, like, other prizes, I think the Elizabeth Jolly, which is run by the ABR, has never been won by a person of colour. And there's just a bunch of quite interesting statistics. So I just wanted to create a space where people of colour could feel like they were being read and had a chance to create fiction that would be read by a full people of colour like panel. So we have judges, Evelyn Araluen, Brian Castro and Julie Coe. Um, we have a prize of $2,500 for the winner. They get published in the listed brow. And what's, like I think the most exciting part of it is the shortlisted writers will be published in an anthology by Brow Books um, due to be out in November this year. You did not make me. You did not make me. You do not make me who I am You do not make me You do not make me Who do you think you are? The creator, the creator It's important to show 
to the budding writers of colour that there is support for them in this industry, which is traditionally incredibly white, I think. Also, I just really, like, from a personal standpoint, I just really want to read these stories. <laughs> I think it's really exciting to support the production of these stories and also we're looking for new voices but also voices which have been or writers who've been publishing forever um it's it's open to everyone so it's just essentially people who identify as a person of color who live in or are citizens of australia um there's no age limit yeah it's as open as possible i just would love people to enter the prize because i think it's a really exciting initiative and I'm really excited to read people who have never read before and see what everyone comes up with. We've created this prize for you and we want to read your writing. So submit, submit, submit. Leah Jing McIntosh, the editor of Luminal Magazine, for you there. It's actually their birthday today, so a big happy birthday, Leah. And if you happen to be in Melbourne this Thursday night, Luminal are launching their very first print edition at the Loop Project Space and Bar. And for the moment, that's the only place that you can actually grab a copy of the edition. There's going to be readings and music from Rainbow Chan, who's track the creator you just heard under that chat, and Flower Boy, to name a couple. We will pop the details for that in our program page. And we'll also include a link to where you can enter the Liminal Fiction Prize open to any emerging or established Australian writer of colour. The deadline is April 1, so get writing and head to liminalmag.com for more info. You tuned in to FBI Radio 94.5, and right now we're joined by actor, musician, dancer, and more, <laughs> Emily Havea. She's currently starring in Grounded at Parramatta's Riverside Theatre, a psychological thriller about a female fighter pilot. Emily, thank you so much for coming in to chat on Race Matters on your day off. <laughs> no worries, a pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, to start, mm-hmm. I know you're based in Sydney, but yes. you actually grew up in Bendigo, and I don't know a lot about Bendigo. Um, I would love to hear about your experience growing up as like a creative kid of colour. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, Bendigo born and raised. So Bendigo's in central Victoria, for those of you who don't know. Um, Bendigo Bank is where the first Bendigo Bank was. And um, it is a, oh, it was. I mean, it still is really, but it was a very white town growing up. I was one of two Tongan families in like a population of 100,000 and um I don't know, I kind of always just thought I was white. And I know that sounds stupid, but as, as I've gotten older, I've kind of heard that narrative from a lot of people of colour um, about just, I thought I was like everyone else and everyone else was white. So I was like, well, um, so am I, right? Um, but it, it, I kind of, I didn't really become consciously brown <laughs> in any way, shape or form until I got to NIDA, um, to Sydney and went to drama school to uni. And, um, like, there is where I met, like, my first, like, real coloured friends who weren't, like, my family members or just, like, that one random kid in school being, like, you know, an all-white class. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a formative time. I mean, I, I don't, I really think Benigo was a wonderful place to grow up for me and my family. Um, 
I didn't really experience much racism, question mark, question mark, I think. Um, my mum is a white Australian. Uh, like our side of the family is ninth generation convict Australia, second fleet. I know. Wow. Imagine being a brown woman <laughs> in 2019 whose history is a part of the colonisation of this country. <clears throat> Wild. What do I even do with that information? Yeah, it's um, hard, yeah. right? Yeah, and it puts it sometimes puts me in a really interesting position because I have a lot of um, friends of colour in Sydney now who are like, uh, you know, oh, white people this, white people that, and I'm always like, oh man, that's my mum, <laughs> you know, that's my family, that's like, so I find myself sitting in like a an in between space often on I don't know racially divided matters or like calling this black and this white like. I don't know, I find myself in the grey area. Totally. Mm. When it when it does have such a personal face mm. like that and, yeah, I guess it's really important to have your voice heard as well because it, it's almost like a kind of balancing yeah. thing. And yeah. for ages I really didn't think that my voice counted because it kind of – I didn't really see myself, my, my point of view aligned on either side. You know what I mean? Like – uh, I don't know when like there are friends on I've got on Facebook who are like talking about white people like YT like you know super derogatory like it's hilarious on one high, on hand but also I'm like well that's not really that's not for me that doesn't speak for me and I don't know how to connect with that and so I kind of just thought that my I don't know experience of race didn't count or something. I guess no. also when you don't explicitly feel like you experienced racism growing up, mm. and I, I'm the same, like I went to a majority East Asian high school, mm. which meant that as a brown kid, I was kind of like not really seen as Asian or other as much as my East Asian friends. Mm. But, and I wasn't quite seen as white, but because of the things that I was interested in and like the identity that I kind of put upon myself, I, I became seen as white, you yeah. know, like you can whitewash yourself. And, totally. Yeah. Um, but, but then it takes a long time for you to feel like you can speak out on matters yeah, of race because yeah. you're like, I didn't have it that bad, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I just thought I was white that whole time. But that's <laughs> totally like a representation of what this country has kind of done in that way. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. It is wild. <laughs> um, I saw you in a play called Brown Skin Girl yes, at the start did. of last year. Uh, it was a production by Sydney Theatre Collective Blackbirds. Mm -hmm. um, and in the run that I went to, there were two runs last year. Is that right? Or? Uh, we had one, uh, one run last year and one run this year, oh, January. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, oh. it was super. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, you ended each play in a Q&A, mm. um, kind of opening the floor to the audience, which mm. is something that I'd never never seen in theatre before, unless it was like a, a planned one and totally. one only yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, how did you find that experience of having the audience reflect on the work in real time? And it's a work that does bring up a lot of issues of race and identity. Totally. I mean, I think the piece is definitely a conversation piece, which is something that you don't actually find that like often enough in theatre. Theatre is very, you know, fourth wall-y and this is our story about that Shakespeare thing that we did once so many years ago and this is how it is and you shut up and listen. But uh, the, the wonderful thing about Brownskin Girls is that we it was very much like we are standing here in front of you and we're not pretending that the audience isn't right here with us and so like let's have a conversation about race, let's let's laugh about it, let's look at those really awkward dark, dark points and like question those and like so yeah having having a 
a Q&A each night was kind of like a decompression for the entire room, us included, you know. It, there's, it's so, it's quite full on to stand on stage as yourself. And it's it's something I had never really experienced in my life performing, really. There's always like, you know, being an actor, you spend so much time putting on layers. So I put on an accent, I put on a costume, I put on a... You know, someone else tells me where to walk. Like, there's so, like, you think you're looking at me, but there's like actually so many different layers to a performance. You're seeing a heavily crafted event. But Brown Skin Girl, the wonderful thing about it is it was literally like me standing on stage, having written my own story and weaved it together with the other two girls, Aisha Ash and Angie Nika. And um, it, it was just, <laughs> it was just, it was, yeah, it was unlike anything, anything I'd ever experienced. But having, having the QA, each night. I mean, it was very interesting the kind of questions that people asked depending on the um, amount of people of colour in the audience or not. And theatre spaces in Sydney are often inherently Western and white. Yep, that feels accurate. And um, and yeah, we had we had like some questions one night. This one guy, bless him, this white guy asked, like, you know, and I notice there's a lot of white people in the audience tonight. Like, do you find it, is it different if there's, like, more people of colour? And all three of us were like, yes! (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Yes! Of course it is! And he was like, oh. (laughs) But, yeah, it was more like the experience for us, the performance on stage, like, when you're educating an audience as opposed to having a group of people resonate with the experience, it's very different as the person on stage you know so like like when we did a season at the old fits in january we had um one night it was was just the front row was full of um just people our parents age who were white and it was just all about blocking subconsciously it was like a step backwards because we were kind of really cautious of making them feel uncomfortable getting too up in their face like in a way like we, we weren't even like, yeah, conscious of it until our producer told us afterwards. She was like, you know, you were out of your light the entire time because we were so wary of that feeling. But really, at the end, you know, they, they stood up and gave a standing ovation and they were being educated. And But the feeling for us on stage is very, very different, viscerally, you know. What was the process of writing that work? Yeah, it was um, basically like us getting together at first with a bottle of wine and talking about all the messed up stuff that's happened to us in experiences living in Australia, growing up, um, you know, day to day, going to the supermarket, like security, just like we basically just unloaded all of the things that we'd ever had issues with and never had really talked about. And we're like, and then just drew connection points through them. And a bit like initially it was going to be about hair because that's like, we all have very different hair, but you know, being blanketed as women of color, it's like you all have curly hair. So you're all sisters. Ha ha ha. But um, yeah, it was. Um, it's been it, the wonderful thing about the show is it's developed as it's grown with us. So, uh, the season that we did in January of the show was definitely the slickest uh, version of the show because it is our stories woven together on stage. So, as time passes, we get older and our thoughts get maturer and we get more articulated about uncertain things. So, yeah, the, the show has shifted and grown with us over time, over three years now. It. Sounds and I mean uh, the performance that I went to uh, really really moved me and I hadn't seen anything like it mm. on a stage before and I, I've heard so many other women of color say the same thing um, but it seems like it would be really hard to kind of 
put yourself out there, as mm. you were saying, um, and maybe like cathartic, I suppose, going through and rehashing those things, which I like become a, a rhythm or, or mm. um, kind of learned if, if it's just a script, but mm. you know, it's always coming back to the very, very personal. Mm. Did you find it difficult? Like, how did you look after yourself during those runs? Yeah, I mean, it really, our experience of the show uh, evolved as we, as the show evolved as well. So the first time we did it, it was three years ago and none of us had ever spoken those thoughts out aloud, let alone to our friends and colleagues and family and people who we cared about. We'd never, never said these things to people. So it was, we came off stage, the three of us, and we were shaking, like we were so confronted. We all had a massive cry together, just like adrenaline and nerves and all of the things but then uh the next time we did it we were just we, we got to be a little bit more um confident at holding the space and and holding each other as well and the third time around we were really um in rehearsals we were really cautious of as as you know people as we had shifted and different things had come up and we would talk about them in the room and then maybe try and write them put them, put them in the show we'd really interrogate each other like are you safe to say this material because if you say this in front of an audience that gives an audience permission to come up to you in the foyer and talk about this thing that's really raw for you and yes you're expressing it but are you okay with it becoming a consumable uh, like opinion piece for a foyer conversation over a gin tomorrow night <laughs> you know so you had to be really cautious of that and Re- yeah, and I guess as we have grown and become and grown into ourselves, like I really feel like that show made me stand at the centre of myself. It's something I kept kind of thinking as the sh- season was happening. I was like, it's like, like having to stand, like say, I don't know, having to speak about yourself and be yourself on stage every night really made me rise to my own. I don't know, what do I say? Rise to my own portrayal of myself yeah, or something? No, yeah, no, I totally get what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was wild. Um but yeah, I think we all, all three of us have really um, had had, even though it might not look have looked like it, we had drawn clear lines about where it was safe for us to be, um, like topic wise. Yeah. Is the show ever going to come back? Hey ho, nobody knows. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after the first time we did it, we had no plans to do it again, and then again and again. Um, so yeah, it could grow legs and walk, but um, stay tuned. Watch this space. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I have my fingers crossed for you. Actually, um, uh, Blackbirds are putting on a show uh, at Griffin at the Griffin Theatre soon in in April, I think next month. It's called Exhale. So you should get along to see that. I haven't seen that one myself, but I'm very excited. Yes, we will pop a Mm. link to that in the program page. Uh, We are going to go to a track now. You've chosen this track for us. Yes, I have. Would you like to introduce it? Oh, this is um, the wonderful Akenyo, Zinzi Akenyo's Woman's World. Let's listen to it now. You're an FBI radio. (laughs) Don't look down on me. Me, 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 me. Wear my suit, wear my hat on front ways. The back professors, some slogans saying companies that really own me. Wear my tie right up to the neck, exhaling excellent. Peace out, I'm lottie dot, blah, blah, the executives. Wear my heels not to appeal to your senses. I'm not covered up because your senses. They can put that shit up on the census. Wear my lipstick, I'm red with power. Hotter by the hour, on time, my own power. Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Raise your glasses, melt the thighs like ice. Clink your glasses, off flashes. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. Woo! 
Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Waste your glasses, melt the thighs like ice. Clink your glasses, I'm flashes. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this hey, nice. Hey. Uh. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. BLB, cause POC, we fighting back on policy. And you can call me feminazi, go ahead and call me nasty. Hey, the bubble burst, fighting like a girl. Roll drama, roll up the power of the female force. When I sat up on the same throne, it's she gone. We gasp in this harness, a cake like Farrakhan. Sniff this female pheromone, it makes the pharaohs moan. Cleopatra toes, they curlings are powerful. The sphinx's nose is falling. Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Raise your glasses, melt the thighs like ice. Clink your glasses, our flashes, you won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this Kenyo on Race Matters, chosen Oof. by our guest, Emily Hevea. Emily, <laughs> you toured with Kenyo yes, for I did. a chunk of time. I know. Um, I love that woman. She's a good, good friend of mine. And um, yeah, she. I think before we were friends, actually, she just Facebooked me and she was like, hey, can you sing? And I was like, I, t- I can totally sing. She's like, <laughs> cool. Do you want to um, sing backing vocals for me on tour for a bit? And I was like, um, yes. Awesome. So yeah, just... Uh, what I can't remember like how long it was for, maybe like a year or two. Not consistently, like on and off. But um, it's so funny. She's an actor as well, actually. So the two of us have like so much in common. So <laughs> she would like juggle between like play school and putting down the studio and stuff. And so yeah. good. I guess that does lead well into my next question mm. about. I guess there is a pervasive whiteness in theatre as mm. well as most creative fields in Sydney and Australia. Maybe but, just Australia, huh? Yeah. <laughs> in general. Yeah, <laughs> just totally. a broad blanket it's, statement. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but there's also growing communities of mm. colour who are kind of like rising to the forefront. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're very much part of that. Mm. Um, what do you, how much do you feel uh, has changed, I guess, since you came into acting mm. and your other creative pursuits mm. um, to now? 
I mean, I feel like I've changed, you know. I don't know if that is necessarily reflective of the world around me as well. Um, I've I graduated from drama school in 2014, so it's been about four years now. And I think I've just really come into myself as a conscious brown person, woman, human being, creative person, um, and, uh, and just... And yeah, in really galvanizing like a group of wonderful, strong, diverse people around me, you know, like I remember when I went to, I went on holidays, my brother lives in Germany and I went and visited him like maybe two years ago now and I was walking down the streets in Germany and like, wow, <laughs> hashtag diversity with our capital D, <laughs> like <laughs> just all of the different people everywhere. And I like, this is two years ago, my mind was like blown and I was looking at all these like beautiful brown women, like looking for their eye contact because in Australia we all know if you're a person of colour you see another person of colour on the street you give them the eye and the nod and the wink like how have I known that since I was like 10 years old (laughs) it's just the way that we do it here and I was looking for like the solidarity like in Europe from people who are different looking and I realised that no one was looking and I was like why is no one looking at me like where are my people but I was like wow there's so many different people here that it's like the diversity is just treated with like an absolute indifference, which I guess is what we're all like looking for. But I think it made me realize a wonderful thing that the whiteness of Australia has given me in my life is like the galvanizing together of creative colored people in my life, which is just like, (laughs) so it is, it, it has such a meaningful, it plays such a meaningful role in my life. I'm like actually quite thankful for it, even though, Australia is somehow inherently meaning white. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I I was, all of that made me think about um, how we've like internalized this concept of Australia being the most successful multicultural country (laughs) in the world. Most successful? Says who, BuzzFeed? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So like a 2008? Come on. Honestly, (laughs) I I have no idea where it's come from, but I know I was taught that at school and like I've been thinking about it more and especially with like what has gone on in in Christchurch and the kind of aftermath over Mm. the weekend um, and the terrorist coming from New South Wales. Australia, oh my gosh, so hectic. Yeah, it just, it's funny and like, uh, uh, I don't know, I've spoken to a few people about this and um, that notion that we are the most successful multicultural (laughs) or even just a multicultural country Mm. is not reflected anywhere else in the world. Everyone sees us as this like blonde surfers, like that that's what Australia is. Dude, I was in I was in the States over Christmas and this African American dude was like, Australia, do they even have colored people there? And I was like, ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> like very much standing in front of him, like, well, I just said I'm Australian. So yeah. <laughs> or someone else being like, Oh, so are you like indigenous Australian? I'm like, no, I'm like Australian, but brown. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what? <laughs> How? Totally. It, it, yeah, I don't... I mean, I, America's nothing to go by, but, you know. I mean, true. But but it is kind of wild that, yeah, mm. that the external per- perception of mm. us is is that. Um, but I guess it is changing internally. And to, to end, we are kind of running out of time. Mm. And thank you so much for coming on. Not at all. Um, but I guess I, um, I've been feeling really down um, about this whole... Uh, 
situation, mm. what happened in Christchurch and kind of the the media response and, and the aftermath. Um, and we were talking a little bit off air mm. uh, about how we both kind of saw it happen and then just like... Moved uh, on with my day a yeah, bit, and kind of acknowledged it and was like, oh, wow, that's atrocious. And then, you know, had breakfast. And, yeah. And then, like, yeah, like we said, it wasn't until... Um, an Instagram story that I watched that at each page you clicked, a friend of mine posted it, each page you clicked was just one, two, three, four, five. And it actually took the time to really consider the weight of 49 people. Actually 50 now. 50, um, yeah. 50, oh great. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 50 people. And uh, to be like villainized for being who you are is just, I don't know, as I started to think about it more, I kind of... I, it, it 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 snuck up on me how close to home it was or how much it could have been me. You know, I'm a person of colour living in this country, like living my damn life, but people have perceptions of you versus, based on what you look like, based on your religion, that it has nothing to do with the quality of person or, or like what you do with your life, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I guess to end on a positive mm. note, it is... The, the work you're doing is so important <laughs> um, and, and a, a show like Brown Skin Girl, I guess, could literally turn someone around or just make them see a perspective that they've never considered before and mm-hmm. thank you for doing that. <laughs> That's too kind. Thank you. <laughs> Your play Grounded yes. is showing at uh, Parramatta's Riverside Theatres. Correct. When does it and uh, we opened on Saturday night and we have a show tomorrow and then we close this weekend. Oh Super gosh. quick. There's only like what? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So seven shows. Seven shows. Far out. Get in quick. Get in quick. The reviews are <laughs> rave. My mom is losing her mind. She got We got four and a half stars from the Sydney Morning Herald and she couldn't be happier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely get along. We will pop a link to grab tickets Beautiful. in the program page, which is at fbiradio.com forward slash programs. Just click through to Race Matters. Emily, thank you so much for coming on. Not and at all. Pleasure to be here. Can't wait to see all of the wonderful things <laughs> that you create. Uh, this is a, another song that you've chosen. Yes, ma'am. Um, it's by Lizzo. Um, I'm obsessed with Lizzo. How good if is Lizzo? If you're not on Instagram, get on her Insta. Also, the video, like the music video oh, for this clip, of this song this is song, yeah. Yeah, a killer. Yeah. It's juice. Uh, we will catch you next week. You're listening to FBI Radio. Stick around for Sunsets with Simon Caldwell up next.
Race matters. 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 Race matters.